It's Gardening Talk back on a Monday afternoon. Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharp. Scott, great to see you once again. Good to be here, good to be here, and good to have those little raindrops falling on my head. Finally some rain. Yes. How good has it been? Did you get a lot out at Carrington? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I think it's those coastal showers are coming in. I mean, the dogs didn't like it, so uh, there must have been enough rain to wet the ground. Fair enough. Good, yeah. good times. Yes. Good times ahead. Hopefully more on the way as well. I hope so, and hope it goes up a little bit further north. What have you got for us today, Scott? Uh, I thought we'd talk about uh, the Maitland Garden Ramble that's coming up. Yep. Uh, if you need some ground covers, uh, what you can use to uh, cover the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fagan Park, it's a beautiful cherry blossom garden down in Dural. All right, cherry blossoms. Yes, it's that time. You can't go wrong with cherry blossoms, can you? You certainly can't. And we've got Carol first up today from Swansea, and she's got questions about the frangipani. Hey, Carol, how can we help you with it? Well, um, when we came here 19 years ago, my husband planted three little bits of frangipani, and we've got the most perfect tree. It was white, white, pink, and red. Yes. Well, the, the white and the red survived. Yep. And causes it, over the years, the reds intermingle with the white. Oh, okay, yeah. And now the, our gardener here has, trained it that I've got a red canopy and a white bottom. Oh, very, <laughs> and very course, nice. And people just pull up and keep pulling up and asking, is that the, um, the white, did you, how did you get that tree like that? But what happened is the red one this year has produced seed pods. Is it, how often do Frenchie pennies produce seed pods? Uh, look, look, I've seen them produce them every year. I mean, certainly the one out the front of my place does, and it's like not special or anything like that. But yes, look, certainly the potential is for them to, to generate seed pods every year. And uh, so yeah, they do. They look like a sort of a long, black, almost curly yeah. bean, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And uh, look, if you want to, you can actually take those off, you know, dry them out, and then plant the seeds if you want to. Most people don't. And it's exactly for the reason of what your husband did 19 years ago is that they grow so easily from cuttings is that there's no real need to, uh, you know, go and harvest the seed and try and grow them from that. Uh, from that. But look, certainly I remember we had a caller probably about three or four weeks ago mm-hmm. yep. uh, who decided he was going to do that just for the fun of it. Yep. And also my daughter bought some seeds from Queensland for a dark purple one. Mm-hmm. And it says to plant them in cactus compost and... And perlite, I think. Yeah, so what... what, Is cactus compost available or is it just... Something yeah. they have up there, or no, no, no. Certainly, look, it's just a sort of a cactus potting mix, cactus and succulent potting mix. And the reason they do that, and they stick the perlite in there as well, is that so it's nice and free draining. I mean, you probably notice that frangipanis will grow, you know, almost in pure sand, won't they? I mean, yeah, that's right. Uh, in well, tro- where it's tropical plate. it's pretty sandy. Yeah, certainly it is. Yeah, so that's what they like. They don't like you know sitting in really uh, heavy, wet conditions. So uh, she, go ahead. Yes, yeah, so wherever you, whenever you're going to plant them, make sure you have a nice free draining spot. And like you said, if you're going to propagate them uh, like they've recommended, use a, a cactus and succulent mix. Uh, if you want to, you can add some perlite back to it. It just opens that mix up and allows it to drain more freely. Oh, that's great news. But mine's are the perfect tree, and I tell you what, they climb to the top of the tree of a night to pinch the red one. Oh, well, now, see, now the red ones don't smell like the uh, old white ones do. No, yeah, no, yeah. I bought it up in Taree at the Gravillia Nursery years and years and years ago. Yeah. But, um, no, I come out one morning and hey, here's so much of it down on the ground. Oh, no. Where they climbed a tree. And yeah, They yeah. mustn't have realised the sap comes off. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's all I wanted to know. Thanks, Scott. Okay. Have a nice afternoon. You too, Scott. Thanks, Carol. Bye-bye. Bye. We've got Michael now from Wood Rising and he's got a question about his lawn. Hey, Michael, how can we help you? Yeah, hi, Scott. Um... I moved in here about four years ago, and the lawn was a disaster. Mm-hmm. I got eaten by lawn grub before I got here. 
and uh, each year I think of putting a new lawn in. So I'm looking at using a, a cooch mm-hmm. or a um, something like a zoysia. Yeah, okay. It's got it's got a huge frangipani tree. Funny that you're just talking about frangipanis. And it's uh, yeah, probably about five metres high and it shades half of the lawn. It's only a small yard okay. um, during the summer. So I'm looking for something that's both shade tolerant and drought tolerant. Yeah, look, I think cooch is probably going to be your best. Uh, I've tried to grow zoysia here, and I, look, I know a couple of people who have done it successfully, but it's not a plant or a, a grass that winters very well. So once you get those lower nighttime temperatures down here in Newcastle and it you know, gets cold and wet, uh, zoysia doesn't do very well. Some right. some people call it no mow grass, and and that's the reason because it it actually you know just gets to a certain height and then just sort of spreads out across the ground and all and it does look lush and green in sort of more tropical areas. Uh, the great thing about zoysia as well, if um you've got some uh, you know like old rocks or uh, you know just some sort of shape in under the ground, it will actually grow over the top of that, so you can get sort of these weird and wonderful shapes as well if you want to make sort of a, a shape area in your garden with this green. Right. Uh, grass over it but I think for what you're doing you'd be best to put in cooch it certainly is drought tolerant uh, very hard to kill even if it dies off uh, you know those roots still remain under the ground and uh, it, yeah, it comes back to life self-repairing because I've got two golden retrievers so yeah yeah so look I, I think in that case cooch is going to be the best Zoys is certainly not self-repairing if you've got dogs uh, running over it and look I'd probably also steer clear of uh, you know the buffaloes as well uh, yeah. even though you know in summer they're fantastic really lush green quick growing lawn once you get to, to winter, they become very dormant. And uh, if you've got you know, a particular path, you know, you're going out to your clothesline or you know, where the dogs are running around, it will wear down in that area. And it, it, uh, you know, it just allows weed to take over uh, when you get to these intermediate months uh, now before the grass really starts growing. So, uh, yeah, I'll look, I think cooch is going to be the best one for you. Yeah, but look, you'd be surprised that our cooch does actually grow in, in quite a bit of shade. It'll sort of stretch up for the light a little bit more, but uh, it won't die off on you. Uh, thanks a lot. Okay, good on you, Michael. Thank you. Righto. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What was the name of that no-mow grass again? Zoysia. So you don't have to mow it. You don't have to mow it, but it doesn't really grow very well down here. Once you get up around Ballina, Byron Bay, yep. uh, it uh, grows pretty well up there. Okay, but not here. No, not no, no, no. That's kind of good then, isn't it? Yeah, look, a lot of different grasses grow better up there around Byron Bay, apparently. <laughs> Let's move on. Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM. We've got Bev from Toronto. She's got a question about orchids. Bev, how can we help you? I have some orchids that were given to me. Yes. One's doing very well and got flowers on it. And the other one, oh, I think it was nearly dead. Um, it had two in the, in the pot. And it was too moist, so I took it out and I dried it out mm-hmm. outside, and then I put it all back together. But I found it had sort of um, beetly things in it, little beetle things in it. Okay. And the the uh, new growth from the centre of the, the leaves uh, was being eaten off. Okay. Two you... leaves that were being eaten off, and I assumed it was these fetal things that were doing it. Yeah, look, entirely possible. So, you know, after you've uh, split it apart and cleaned everything up, do you think yeah. you've actually got rid of those um, beetles adequately? Um, you know, you see yeah, any more damage? Yeah, yeah. I, I got half a dozen flew out of the thing as soon yeah. as I disturbed it, and then there were a couple of others that came out later. So I sprayed the bottom of the thing with some. Um, Oh, you know, fly spray. Yeah, not not always the best thing to do, but um, okay, we'll we'll leave, we'll leave well enough alone there. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> so I want to do something to just, just you know, deter them. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so uh, do you know is that happening before? Is it these little things that get in there? Some of they were different sizes. But they were the one type of beetly thing. Yeah, look, certainly, uh, you know, all sorts of insects. They'll, they'll, they will always try and find somewhere to nest, and especially if there's something, uh, you know, nice there to feed on. I guess that's why, I, you know, I'd try and live very close to an Italian restaurant if I could. You know, that's because <laughs> I don't go and feed there all the time. But yeah. uh, look, beetles will and little bugs will do exactly the same thing. So, and they will, they will sort of take up uh, roost in potty mix as well. So, uh, you know, a thing you can do is you can get uh, like a, a natural insect like pyrethrum and you can mix that up into a, a you know into a watering can or just a small watering can if you've only got a small pot and you can actually yeah. drench down through that and pyrethrum will get rid of most bugs like that you're not willy-nilly spraying out into the atmosphere you're actually directing to where those insects are and killing them that way so uh, look, that, that's always rather than using the fly spray like uh, you know you told yeah. us you were doing I, i'd just get some pyrethrum it's a nice safe natural insecticide you mix it up in the watering can and uh, you can direct it to where you need it to be Right. Now, I was worrying about retrieving these um, these two plants in the one pot. Um, I dried them out, and, and I thought, oh, well, I might put some orchid seed on them. Yes. Because the other one's flowering, and this is the flowering season. So I thought, well, it's pretty dry. The little you know, pots around immediately around the roots, um, that was still a little bit damp. but hadn't dried out completely. But I put all the, you know, the, um, was it moss? Mm-hmm. I packed that back in around it. And I put some of the orchid seed. I mixed it up with water and put that in. Oh, okay. Now, that might have been a little bit strong doing that. When did you go and do that? Just recently or...? Uh, a week ago. Okay, so look, do, doing that could be a little bit strong. Usually, those uh, fertilisers you just sprinkle around the top, or you, you know, depending on the instructions, you you mix them mm. up and water them down through the plant. The other thing, yeah. when you when you're repotting an orchid, always good to get uh, you know a proper well drained orchid mix. Uh, so you know, mm-hmm. jump off to your local garden centre and grab some of that, and they'll be able to talk to you about you know a proper well drained mix. But as far as you know, putting fertiliser directly in around the roots of a plant, that's that's never a good mm-hmm. idea because those roots, as soon as they sort of go out and start sucking stuff up, they're sucking mm-hmm. up almost pure fertiliser, and you can actually burn the plant and do some damage. So at, if mm-hmm. you've only done it a week ago, it might even be a good idea just to uh, you know pull everything apart again. And uh, you know, rinse it back off, and go and grab some proper uh, orchid mix, and uh, and start again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did mix it with water, and they said put it half strength. Okay, I mixed it up to the right quantity with the water, and just you know, did it like that rather than just put the plain water on. Okay, so look, as long as you as long as you did it according to the instructions, then all all should be yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Thanks very much. Okay. Thanks, though, Bev. Good luck with it. And we've got Harry from Abermain. It's got he's got a question about roses. Harry, how can we help you? Thank you very much for taking my call. Not a problem. I've got nearly eighty rose bushes in my yard. I'm eighty six years of age and I'm losing memory about something that I used to spray them with preferably the same day as they're pruned or soon thereafter, which stops the uh, any problems uh, uh, with them. Uh, can you Remind me of what you used to spray them with, please. Oh, I reckon I can, Harry, mate. I'll just firstly say you don't sound a day over 56 for starters. So <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, well, I'm already fixed and living on my own, mate. So <laughs> yeah. I can assure you of that. So you're doing pretty well there. You're doing pretty well. And you're looking after 80 roses. So, uh, look, you need to plant an extra six roses and then keep on planting them thereafter so they, they keep up with how old you are. I wish. <laughs> mate, look, what you used to do, and uh, and it's a great idea for everyone who's pruning their roses, it's lime sulfur you're after. Yeah. That was in my mind, and I wasn't going to commit myself. No, that's all right. And it smells like rotten egg gas, I guess, is yeah. the best way to describe it. Yeah. What it does is it actually seals up any of the cuts. That's right, yeah. yeah. And if you've got louse scale up and down the trunk of the rose, it also cleans up that as well and gets rid of that louse scale. Apparently, they don't like the smell of rotten egg gas, the old louse scale. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Lime sulfur is something that I had in my mind, but I wasn't going to commit myself. Yeah, no, that, that's certainly what it is. Uh, look, people also use it, uh, you know, on, decid- on your peach trees, your stone fruits when they're uh, when they've lost their leaves as well. But the the kicker with lime sulphur is though it can burn, so uh, you can't use it on a plant, for instance, roses that have got leaves on them. So that's why you do it after you've pruned it. That's uh, right. Because yeah. it will burn off any leaves that are on there. It's 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 quite sort of uh, harmful, I guess, if you spray anything that's uh, that's got their leaves on there still. Yes, I normally wait until I'm sure that there's no existence of any frost here at Abermain, mm-hmm. and that has occurred a few weeks weeks ago. And my rose bushes have got a lot of new growth on them there now, and they're they're singing out for help. All right. Well, and and you had a little bit of rain there as well, or yes, we have yeah, okay. this last weekend. It was okay. Lovely and beautiful. Yeah, and look, that that will really make a difference. I reckon that uh, natural rain uh, falling from the sky rather than just out of the end of the hose. Yes. Yeah. Okay, lime sulfur. Okay, okay Harry, and look, mate, we want to hear from you again next year when you've planted your 87th rose. I wish. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I'm, I've got to give it my best shot. No, put, Thank put you it, so very much. Put us on speed dial, Harry. Okay, bye for now. Bye for now. And we've got Joy from East Brankston. She's got a question about Myrtle. Joy, how can we help you there? Oh, not. Oh, good morning, uh, Scott. Or good, yeah, afternoon now, isn't it? It, yeah. it is, yes. And Greg as well. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I've got... Um, well, I don't think it's a growth. It's sort of a scale of effects covering my crepe myrtles yes. and my prunus trees. Now it's been it's been there every year. It doesn't doesn't seem to affect the flowering or anything like that. But somebody told me that it needs to be scraped off. Can you tell me if it is damaging? It's a a real um, grey. Uh, sort of rough scaly thing and eventually it looks like another bark an extra bark and it breaks off is it it a problem so it sounds like you might is it some sort of lichen that you've got on the plant do you think i don't think so okay there's nothing moving there it's just it's just like a a extra coating of bark sort of a grayish bark okay look i I wouldn't go and scrape it off that that, that's you know that's probably going to be damaging to the plant uh Look, if it is some sort of lichen or fungal, you know, problem that you've got on the, on the tree, the best yeah. thing to do is go and get a fungicide. It's uh, it's called copperoxychloride, mm-hmm. and you just mix that up in water, and you can just spray that down the the uh, the trunk of the plant, and that should get rid of it. And look, the great news is that if it's not, uh, you know, some sort of fungal problem, that that uh, copperoxychloride is not going to damage the plant anyway. So it's more of a preventative that you're going to be using it for. Okay, fine. Yeah, well, they've been there for oh, 10 or 12 years. Okay. It doesn't seem to have affected them at all, but I thought this, some, this person reckons that, oh, yeah, you better get that off there. It'll kill your plants. 
And I thought I'd just check with you. Yeah, so. well, look, if they've, if they've lasted that that uh, long, I, you know, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. But, uh, look, get some of that fungicide. That's the only thing I can think of, that it might be a lichen of, of some sort that's growing on the trunk of the plant. And uh, just, uh, you know, you can actually we could use a paintbrush if you wanted to, but just spray it down the trunk of the plant. Either we'll get rid of it uh, or, you know, if it's not harmful, you know, it just won't the, uh, the copper oxychloride won't do any damage either. Okay. Thanks okay. very much, Scott. Thank you very much for that, Joy. Okay, okay. We'll bye. see you later. Bye-bye. Cheers, Joy. We've got Jeff now from Stanhope, and he's got a question about the lemon tree and guava tree. Jeff, how can we help you? Good afternoon, Scott. How are you today? Yeah, pretty well, mate. I think you missed the, the, the last bit. It's actually a lemon myrtle tree. Oh, okay. Lemon myrtle tree. Oh, yeah. well, look, we, we're, we're going to have to sack the person on the phones. It's, it's just not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just wondering what uh, type of fertilizer or manure. I put the chicken manure around me, uh, around me fruit trees. Yes. And uh, the citrus trees. And uh, yeah, I was just wondering what uh, what to use on the uh, on the uh, <coughs> the lemon myrtle. Yeah. So look, you have to be careful because lemon myrtle is actually a, a native to up in Queensland. It's actually a plant called uh, Backhousia. Uh, so you do have to be a little bit careful about what you're uh, using around those. Uh, right. Look, I would strongly suggest getting just getting some blood and bone. And spreading, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, spreading that around. Or if you're going to, you know, your local garden centre, you can actually just get a, a specific native fertiliser at uh, at most places that you can use there. But uh, certainly, oh, yeah. using fowl or cow manure around natives uh, is, you know, a sort not of a, good, eh? it's not good. Look, <laughs> and the reason I, I say that is because you can use small amounts. There's no, you know, because obviously wombats have to, you know, poo somewhere. So they could have done that around the the lemon myrtle. But what happens, uh, and look, we're all guilty of it, we go and fertilise or, you know, we're putting too much sugar in our tea and then all of a sudden we go, oh, just a little bit more and then a little bit more and all of a sudden you've over-fertilised the plant. So it's best to steer clear of those, uh, you know, cow manures, poultry manures around, uh, you know, around native plants. Not that, you know, if you use them sparingly, that's fine, but most people tend to overuse, so I don't recommend doing it. So go and grab some blood and bone or some specific native fertiliser and uh, you can fertilise almost to your heart's content in that case. Okay, well let's solve that one. Okay. Now I've got three. Now I've got three guava trees. One's a, uh, a red cherry guava. Yes. It's been already bare fruit uh, last autumn, and uh, only only half a dozen off it, but that was okay. And I've got a I don't know how to pronounce this one. An amum a double m a n. Yeah. Okay. Amum. Yeah. I, I haven't heard of that one, but uh, yeah, that's. Yeah, that's a uh, it's a yellow. It's a green. When it ripens, it's, it's, only a, it's only a young fella. Yeah. Uh, when it ripens, it's a green skin prick. And the other one I'll have, I've lost the tag off it, but it's the, the old yellow uh, skin prick. Yes. And yeah, and I'm just wondering what type of fertiliser I could use around those. Uh, look, certainly around the guava, uh, you could go and use some cow manure if you wanted to around them. Um, that, that's... Oh, I wouldn't get plenty of that. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> look, but again, don't, don't go crazy. Um, you know, just nah. sort of spread it around the drip line of the plant and then water it in. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, certainly you can use cow manure on your guava. Oh, good on you. Yeah, and look, shot. around your, your almond tree, uh, look, I'll, again, use some cow manure, but uh, just use it sparingly. And sparingly. Of co- yeah, and of course, that's in the ground and not in a pot, is it? 
Yes, they're all in the ground. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Okay. So, again, just use your cow manure. Uh, and, look, the reason I'm suggesting that rather than poultry manure is because poultry manure is more high in nitrogen. So, uh, you know, the chances are it's just going to feed the green leafy growth of the plant rather than the fruiting and flowering of the plant. So cow manure is the oh, one, yeah. uh, more of an all-round fertiliser for doing that. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay, Scott, well, thank you very, very much for that, Mark. Okay, you have a nice afternoon, Jeff. And I do. Enjoy your, enjoy your show, mate. Okay. Thank th- you. Thank you very much. Cheers. Mate. Bye-bye. Cheers, Jeff. We've got Frank now from Charlestown. And Scotty's got a question about pollination. Frank, how can we oh, help you with it? Yeah, g'day, Scott. Um, I've got a mariposa plum, about two years old. Yes. Um, I tried to put some grafts on it about oh, about 12 months ago, and they didn't take. And I've got another five on, but I don't know what the stock is. You know, it's a plum, I know, but I don't know the um, the type. Yes. Um, if the, the pl- my plum is starting to flower now, um, and the grafts, I don't know whether they've taken or not, but maybe they're late. And uh, I'm just concerned that I won't have flowers on the grafts uh, to do this cross, cross-pollination. So my question really is, mm-hmm. um, can I self-pollinate? Can I take pollen off the mariposa with, say, a cotton bud or something? Yes, yep. And... and and rub it on other flowers on the same tree? Yes, you, you certainly can do that. Uh, you, could, you could also get a little paintbrush as well if you wanted to and, and uh, try and do that. But, uh, yeah, look, certainly you can try and uh, pos- uh, cross-pollinate uh, using that method. Right, okay. A little bit, te- well, a little bit tedious. Um, you know, you're putting some bees out of work. They'll be down at Centrelink buzzing around, <laughs> no doubt. But, uh, look, you certainly can do that. Okay. My neighbour will be disappointed. He's got a hive two doors up. But, uh... <laughs> All right, thanks, uh, Scotty. I appreciate that. Okay, not a problem. Thanks for that, Frank. We've got Gary from Kersley, and Scotty's got a question about his hedge. How can we help you with it, Gary? G'day, Scott. How are you going? Yeah, pretty well, mate. Um, I planted a uh, hedge about two months ago. Yeah. It's a Bucks's, Bucks's hedge. Yes. And I planted it about 1.3 metres apart. Ooh, Is that yeah. too far or...? Yeah, that, 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 that's a little bit too far apart. I mean, look, they will grow together eventually, uh, but there's uh, quite you're going to wait quite some time for that to happen. Uh, look, when uh, we're planting Bucks's hedges, uh, you know, like Japanese box, the slightly larger leaf one, we would plant them, you know, three per meter. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so you're not waiting forever for them to grow together. Okay. Ooh, I'm well, a po- I, ry- I rhymed then. That was very nice. <laughs> One of the great poets. Um, I've, I've got some more there that I can plant. Should I? With them, um, say one point uh, point six five apart. Or yeah, look, look, even half a meter apart's fine. Look, the other yeah. great thing about Buxus made is that uh, you know, as we get into the spring, uh, you know, period, you could actually take some cuttings if you wanted to and try and strike them, and then interplant those uh, in between as well, uh, oh, okay. just to try yeah. and fill up that area a little bit more. When you're, uh, you know, you've got your hedge going and and, you, and it's starting to move upwards, don't let it sort of move up and get all straggly on you actually go along and very gently tip prune it so that you get a nice full plant moving upwards rather than just you know a couple of branches getting up there to the height you want it and then yeah. everything else having to catch up okay good and is there a good fertilizer for it or uh look certainly uh, with buxus i would probably be using uh, cow manure on that uh yep. and uh get it growing nice and quick okay great okay thank you very much Scott. thank you gary have a nice afternoon mate you too mate. okay bye-bye bye. Cheers, we've got Pat now from Fern Bay, and they've got a question about mulch. Pat, how are you in a sandy spot up there at Fern Bay? Yes. Yeah, you do need mulch, don't you? 
yeah. Look, we've got um, native plants and they're in big pots. I've got grevilleas and a Christmas tree. Uh, I want to know what kind of mulch I can put around them. What's the best thing to do? Uh, look, you, you could use a pine bark mulch if you wanted to, but that said, uh, pine bark doesn't really, uh, you know, break down very well. It doesn't really hold no. the moisture into, you know, real flash. Uh, I would be more inclined to go and get a bag of sugarcane mulch. Right. And, uh, and use that. You can also get tea tree mulch, which I quite like. Uh, and those plants would like a little bit of, you know, that slightly acidic soil around them as well. So tea tree mulch is another good one. It mats together. It does break right. down over time and it holds the moisture. So, uh, you know, if you can grab some tea tree mulch somewhere, uh, that might be worth getting. Uh, your fallback position, of course, would be sugarcane mulch. It's pH neutral, uh, but it does work very well. It mats together, uh, breaks down over time and feeds the soil and holds in the moisture uh, uh, quite successfully. Right. How thick would I put that on? Uh, look, you can put it on as, as thick as you want, as long as it's not really thick around the trunk of the plant. That's right. the, that's yep. the kicker yep. on this one, because if you start having it too thick around the trunk of the plant, uh, then there's the potential for you know it staying moist all the time. All of a sudden, you've got colorot, the bark's you know right. breaking down, and your plant dies. So, whichever mulch you use, always just make sure that it's pulled a little bit away from the trunk of the plant. Well, my husband was watching something yesterday, a gardening show, mm-hmm. and he they put mulch around, but he said it looked like tree leaves and stuff. Would that be just stuffing something out of the bush? Or? Yeah, look, that, that could be a eucalyptus mulch. Uh, you know, that, that could work for you as well. Again, I don't know how well that would go uh, holding, no. holding in the moisture. It uh, might be too acidic as well. Uh, that's why yeah. I always go with those, you know, especially in a pot. Uh, you know, around, around the ground, you know, if you've just got a large garden bed, some eucalyptus mulch is fine, as long as you've got acid-loving plants there. Yeah, these are really great big pots. They're not little tiny things, you know, so that's and he's watering every day, so yeah. But but that's still still those those that root system is contained in there. So you just have to yeah. be a little bit uh, you know wary about how much uh, you know sort of acidic mulch is sticking in, into that uh, confined space. So right. I, I would yeah. be more inclined to go, like I said, with the tea tree as your number one bet. Uh, right. And then if you want to have one each way, I would go with the uh, sugarcane mulch. Okay, I'll let him know. Good. Okay. Thank you very much. You have a nice Bye. afternoon, Pat. Thank you. Cheers, thanks, Pat. We've got Glenn now from North Rothbury, and he's got a question about snails. Mm. Glenn, it must be... Yeah, very well, mate. It must be raining up there for the snails to have come out. Yeah, we've just had a little bit yesterday. It's sort of just threatening at the moment, but that's about it. We're just about to put a lot of tomato plants in, little seedlings, and uh, we've had trouble with snails in the past. I've just seen in this gardening magazine about copper tape. I was just wondering what your opinion on that was as a repellent. Yeah, so look, that, that that would work fine. So the slug and snail pellets that you get have some copper and iron in them anyway. So when they eat that, they that actually kills them. So that copper tape would work fine. Uh, mate, the other thing you can do is you can just use, uh, you know, get some sort of mulch as well. Uh, they don't like crawling over mulches, so you can use that as a sort of a natural way to do it. Um, but sure. yeah, but look, certainly uh, if you've got some blue tongues as well, always a good uh, animal to have around to eat the snails. But uh, you just have to be careful about uh, putting down slug and snail pellets when you've got blue tongues around. You need sure. to try and uh, you know protect them and have them in a container of some sort that the snails can get into, but your blue tongues can't. But mate, sure. if, you, if you can get that uh, that copper tape, it will work uh, just like the uh, the pellets will as well. Does it last? How long would you? What life would it have? Yeah. Look again. Like with your pellets, you have to keep on, uh, you know, reusing it uh, because oh, it washes okay. off and it breaks down over time. Oh no worries. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Sure. All right. Good on you. Thanks. For that. Okay. Thanks for that. Thanks, mate. Have a nice bye. afternoon. Thanks, Glenn. Yeah. You too. Bye. 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 
It's Guarding Talk back on 2 RFM. If you've got any questions for Scott Sharp, you can give us a call on 49216216. Now, Scott, you mentioned something a little bit earlier that Maitland Garden rambles on. Yes, it's well, it's going to be on the 15th and 16th of September. It's, I guess, one of the biggest uh, sort of gardening events uh, here in the Hunter, and it's a, it's a really great uh, idea. Uh, look, uh, what happens is that monies, it's, it's organised by the uh, Maitland Black and White uh, Committee, and they donate monies or funds raised to Vision Australia. Okay, excellent. Yeah, so it's a, it's a really lovely uh, way to go out and you know raise some money for Vision Australia or donate some money to Vision Australia by doing this. Uh, and there's a number of gardens, again, uh, that are going to be on display. Just doing a quick count, there's about all nine going to nine. be. Yeah, nine going to be on display uh, this particular September, and it's on the 15th and 16th of this uh, September coming. Uh, now, you can get tickets. Yep. Okay. These are the people supporting it: uh, Heritage Gardens, Bawara Cafe, uh, Sharps Nursery, and uh, Poppy's Nursery. So there's a good spread of places uh, to that are supporting that uh, this uh, great uh, event uh, here in the uh, in the Hunter. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. So you could could you do that the whole one day though? Just walk, do a uh, lap. Oh, I don't know if you could walk, mate. That sounds Maybe a little not bit. A walk, apparently but... they've got a shuttle bus as well, but you've got to book that shuttle bus that leaves <laughs> oh, from Maitland Railway Station. Uh, look, I, <clears throat> pardon me. I've spoken to people who will actually go and do three gardens, you know, four gardens in one day. Yep. Okay. And then go and have a look at you know the next lot, um, you know the next day because it's on over the two days. So yeah, really, uh, we'll talk more about those gardens in detail uh, in the next couple the of weeks. weeks. Yeah. Excellent. Garden Ramble. Garden Ramble. Maitland Garden Ramble, the 15th and 16th of September. Uh, look, of course, they uh, do have a website, so go check it out. Excellent. Good times. Good times ahead. And now we've got time for one more caller, okay. and we've got William from Gateshead, and he's got a question about the yellow, uh, the pawpaw tree. Sorry, it's Michael from Aberglassen. Michael, how can we help you? Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, we certainly can. Oh, fantastic. Yes, um, I live at Aberglassen. We've got this pawpaw tree growing. Mm-hmm. Looks fantastic. My wife, wife loves the fruit of the cooking. But we thought we feel a bit starving the blood orange and the lime that we've got growing close to it. Mm-hmm. And we were wondering, do you know if pawpaws grow well in pots? And will they fruit? And also, would it, do you think you could take the plant out from where it is and put it into a pot? Or should we just start again with a new one in a pot? Uh, look, without seeing the plant and seeing how big it is, that's that's a bit difficult. About two metres. Two metres, that's a pretty tall plant. It, it, might, yeah, not it, tra- it might not transplant very successfully for you. Uh, you can put them into pots. There's actually a dwarf pawpaw you can get as well, which would probably be oh. more suited to pots. Uh, if you wanted to put a large one in, of course, you'd have to have a pretty big pot to, to make uh, it grow. Never heard of a dwarf one, but that's sounding good, actually. Yeah, so... I'm, look, not, I'm not very tall. <laughs> So, yeah, look, a dwarf pawpaw is a good idea for a, for a pot. Uh, trying to transplant your two-metre-high one, I reckon, probably wouldn't be very... Ambitious. Su- yeah, it might be a little bit ambitious, just for the amount of soil that you'd actually have to take with you. And then you're going to put that soil into a pot where it really needs to have potty mix. So where it's more well... You know, potty mix is more well-drained. It's, it's designed for use in pots where soil will actually clog up and there's not really that much nutrient in there. Uh, so, look, I don't think that would be a great idea. Probably go and see if you can get a uh, dwarf yeah, one and... Start and a new a- dwarf. Yeah, start that's fresh. awesome. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks for that, Michael. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. All right. Now we have William from Gateshead, Scott. It's our last caller, and he's got a question about the yellow plum tree. How can we help you with it, William? Um, how are you, mate? Yeah, uh, pretty well. I've got, bought it uh, three years ago, and it was grafted one, and I put it in the uh, ground in good soil and that. It's eight foot tall now, 
and it's never had a bud on it. Right, okay. Look, the, the thing with a lot of stone fruit uh, is that they have uh, pollinators. So you actually need either, you know, another one of, you know, your plant or a completely different plant, a plum tree in the area. So most plums will actually have a specific pollinator to get them going the best. Uh, now, we were also talking to a fellow before. He was actually going to go out. Uh, it was uh, Ch- uh, Frank from Charlestown. He was actually going to go out with a paintbrush and uh, try and self-pollinate uh, his plum. But uh, look, if you're not getting flowers on there as well, the other thing you might, what are you feeding it with? Uh, uh, when You know, when it, uh, the leaves die off and that, through the winter and that, I give it the old rotted manure. Yeah, what sort of manure, mate? Chook and horse. Okay, now I reckon that therein lies your problem up to a point. Uh, in that uh, they're very high in nitrogen. Uh, the chook, because uh, it's just high in nitrogen, and right. the horse manure, because it largely eats grass and other things, and it's only got the one stomach, and it doesn't break it down very well. Uh, mate, I would be going and using a, a cow manure or probably getting some sort of, uh, like a, uh, you know, like an all-round granular plant food and using that. In addition, yeah. I would be getting a product called sulfate of potash, and, uh, so far, yeah, I use that on different plants, yeah, so I mean, ma- tomatoes and stuff. Yeah, so most of them use that on your plum tree, mate, um, but I'd steer clear of the horse and poultry manure. She's- yeah, I got, I got another plum tree uh, about 20 foot away from it. <coughs> it's got a million white flowers on it now, yep. and every year I can't get nothing to get, keep the fly away from it. Yeah, look, beautiful I- big plums. Yeah. I've tried all different sorts of things. Yeah, look, that, that, that is a problem. Uh, the only yeah. thing, you know, you have to spray, you have to uh, use traps. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just one of those things you have to be as persistent as you possibly can. But uh, yeah. fruit, fruit fly is always a problem with tomatoes and stone fruit. Oh, here that's in right, yeah. yeah. Okay. One, one, one we'll, have to, we'll have to leave it there. Sorry, we have run out of time again, Scott Sharp. I'm so sorry. It's good that it goes so quick. It does. So it's good. I'll catch you next Monday. Sounds perfect.